Hey guys, welcome back to the Seal Podcast. I'm Tyler Seal. And I'm Shiloh Seal. And we're going through our multi-part study on the book of Thessalonians. And we are still laying the foundation. We've been traveling with Paul um, on his second missionary journey. We began in Acts 16, if you've been with us from the beginning. And we've just... Um, made it into the beginning of 17. We had ended our last teaching um, in verse 4, but we had talked about wanting to go back, and we have decided that we will go ahead and read Isaiah 53, which was potentially the, um, it's the... So this is the source of Paul's ministry with the Jewish people. When he would enter into synagogues, he often would read from their scriptures, their scrolls. And as we were studying, what we did was we used our Blue Letter Bible app, which I strongly recommend. It's a great study tool. And we looked at the commentaries that are on that app One of the pastors that I actually do trust, I think he's a great pastor, he's passed away now, but Pastor Chuck Smith, I just knew that he would have already had a teaching on this. And sure enough, he said likely chapter 53 of Isaiah was what Paul read. And so we decided, well, let's read that and see. And this is one of those things that we're going to go through at least three times in the overall journey of this podcast. Like right now, we're we're going through it to show you how Paul would have used it as a ministry tool to lead people to Christ. Something written 800 years before Christ's birth was a prophetic word pointed to him. And this is pretty commonly known as the Mount Everest of Isaiah's prophecies. This all the way up until the 12th century, was considered, even by the Jewish scholars, to be a messianic prophecy. And then after that, later on, it's it's also debated that maybe this entire chapter is talking about the nation of Israel. But as we go through it, just pray and use your own discernment. And if this doesn't sound like Jesus to you, well, let us know. Like We're fully open to other points of view. But this is how Paul chose to reach out to Jews and lead them to Christ. And we've actually met people that are involved in ministries where that's their primary goal is to, mm-hmm. to reach out to the Jewish community. And through discipleship and through just specifically the Old Testament, lead people to Christ. And it's a different kind of ministry than just preaching on the streets, but it's a God-blessed ministry that's been going on since Paul's day, and it still happens today. And so before we get back in to Acts 17 and finish that up and finally begin to actually read the books of Thessalonians, we're going to go through Isaiah 53 to show you one of Paul's ministry tools for evangelism. Before we get into the scriptures, let's go ahead and pray. 
Lord, we just come before you, God, and we just thank you that you're a holy God, Lord, that you're a faithful God, Lord, that you're the same um, from the beginning to the end, Lord, that you're, uh, that you have never changed. God, we pray right now that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word, God, that you would give us wisdom to speak and teach your word, God, and that you would be glorified in all of these things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Starting in verse 1 of Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So beginning right there, the tender plant is speaking of the Messiah coming as a baby. It's coming as a man. It's, it's not just that Jesus is the root. He came as a man. He came as a baby. He was in a, in a manger. And every one of these verses can be connected directly to Jesus. Now, when it's talking about no, no form nor comeliness, it's important to point out that Jesus didn't need to be rich, famous, or beautiful for his ministry to have success. He literally is the truth. Amen. And that is what is necessary. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Like I said, as you're reading through these verses, you can see the different parts of the passion story, the parts that we commonly recognize as, as part of the tale of Jesus. He, he really was taken to the cross for our sins. And in that moment, when Barabbas and Jesus stood before Pilate and the crowd is choosing which one to execute and which one to release you know there's there's this feeling of people shamefully hiding their face from christ in that moment and and choosing a monster choosing a murderer over their savior would you like to read verses four and five sure surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Amen. So again, try to remember that Paul is using these scriptures and other, and other scrolls and scriptures like this. I mean... I encourage you to read all of Isaiah. It's a beautiful book of prophecy. We we'll probably Jesus do a study is, on it later. We certainly. <laughs> and in verse five, one of the things we were discussing before is this is also one of those verses that when we do a hmm. a mini series on healing, we're going to get deep into this and all of the surrounding scriptures. By his stripes, we are healed is is this huge powerful verse and we don't 
We don't have the time to get into all the elements. This is not an exhaustive study on Isaiah. But again, I don't see how every one of these verses doesn't bring Christ to your mind as a Christian, mm-hmm. you know, and how it how it relates to the Jewish community is up to each of them. Like the very next verse in the book of Acts will explain some of that. There's Jews that believe and there's Jews that don't believe when Paul preaches. But cling always to the possibility that when you speak, when God calls you to speak, there will be some that believe your testimony. There will be some that believe and follow and get converted to Christ. Like that is our ultimate job as Christians is to spread the good news and to share the gospel wherever we can and let the chips fall where they may from there. Verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, again, this to me does not equal Israel as a nation. Like this chapter is not speaking about Israel as a nation so much as Israel's need as a nation for a redeemer, for somebody to answer the weight of sin. Israel in Jesus's day was an occupied country that had been through countless wars and countless tragedies and countless idolatries. It was not was not a pure sacrifice. Jesus was. Amen. So verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And this is directly referenced in Matthew chapter 26, when, when Jesus is on trial and the scribes and the Pharisees are, are hitting him and whipping him and questioning him, and he holds his peace. He holds his silence. In his lifetime, the amount of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled is staggering. And Isaiah 53, 7 is one of those that was fulfilled right before he goes to the cross. We'll try to push through. We're, there's... There's a few more verses, but I'm hoping by now you're starting to get the feel of how this chapter could be used by Paul to minister to Jews and lead them to Christ right there in a synagogue. Well, yeah, and it's important, like, Paul didn't bring anything, he didn't really bring anything new with him. It's not like he brought some other book or some other scroll. You know, he he came into the synagogue and he used what they had and he taught of Jesus through the words that they already knew that they already had. And he just walked them through it and showed them this was Jesus the Christ. And by now the news from Jerusalem of the death, burial, and resurrection and the graves being opened up and the temples, you know, veil being torn all of these things were common knowledge in the places that paul was preaching in every synagogue they they heard news like that and that was something that was discussed and so he literally had to bring nothing new 
They had the news of what Jesus had gone through, and they had the scrolls of Isaiah and all of the, the Old Testament books that we treasure, and they had access to all that, and they understood all of that as truth. And so even today, when when you have the opportunity to share the gospel with a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, it tends to work out better to go through the Old Testament, the parts of the Bible that we all hold common, we all believe, even if they view Isaiah 53 differently than you. You know, we're Christians. We know there's Christians who look at a passage and see something, and there's other Christians who see something else. But that doesn't mean there won't be fruit in that ministry. That doesn't mean you can't you can't always still find Jews for Jesus. Yeah. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Now this is another one of those verses that I don't see how you apply that to a whole nation, to a whole people, especially when we know from the story of Jesus, he was put to death alongside two sinners, mm -hmm. alongside the thieves on the cross. So he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, which literally means to be buried in a rich man's tomb, which is what happened. We know Jesus was not a violent man and there was no deceit in his mouth because not only did he live a life without sin, he is the truth. Yeah. So you want to you go through 10 through 12? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for, your, for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the Lord of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the, with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressor. Transgressors. I love that line. Thank you, Jesus, so much yes. for making intercession for each and mm. every one of us. Mm. Lord, we praise your name. Mm. We praise your work on the cross. Lord, it breaks my heart every time I think of it. That you would love us so much that you would give your life for us, even knowing all of the pain, all of the struggles, all of the suffering. You mm -hmm. gave your life for every one of us. And we just praise your name and we thank you. Yeah. We thank you so much, Lord. So mm -hmm. the reason we wanted to go through this again is <clears throat> I want you guys to start to understand the pattern of Paul's ministry as we go in to the letters that he writes to the churches he ministered to. Now, this is a, this is just one of many, you know, there's, 
Psalm 22. You could go into Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 4. There's all kinds of places that clearly are scriptures of prophecy referring to the future work of Jesus Christ, which to us is the work of 2,000 years ago. But there are still people waiting for the Messiah to come. And so Paul made it his mission wherever he went to walk into the synagogue, to the place where the Jews would gather, to share through their scriptures the story of Jesus. And it's one of the proofs of the Bible even today that you could go to books that are hundreds of years older than Christ and through his existence, and you could literally trace the Christmas story or you know, all of these beautiful moments we have in the Gospels through the Old Testament. Like that is in and of itself a proof of the validity of Scripture. Let's not forget that Paul's primary mission given to him by Jesus was to share the Gospel with the Gentiles. So he always started right there, but that's not where it would end. And so as we get back into Acts chapter 17, Yeah, and I would urge you, if you have your Bible, open it up. Get your Bible out and open it up. We're going to be in Acts 17. And follow along with us. We're going to be starting in verse 5. Yeah. Uh, we, we just went over verses 1 through 4 in the previous message. But this is the very beginning. This is the very beginning of the church at Thessalonica. So now Paul has moved on from his prison ministry in Philippi, and we went through all of that to show you how Paul makes it to certain towns. Like, there's a whole element that is divine providence in all of that, you know, and he recognizes when a season of ministry is over. And for some of us, it's, you really just got to be patient, and you got to be quiet, and you got to listen for the Lord to say, okay, it's time to do a new thing. For Paul, it's literally like, Hey, you need to go. They're trying to beat you to death. Sometimes God makes it plain, and sometimes you've just really got to listen for that still small voice. Mm. But here we are in Thessalonica, and he's preached in the synagogue once again for three weeks. So every Sabbath, for sure, three Sabbaths in a row, he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. That's verse two. Now, in verse 5, it says, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. So, again, we're introduced to a character, Jason. And like I was saying before, I believe that when the Bible specifically calls out by name in the beginning of a church's season, so now here we are, we've just come to Thessalonica and we're introduced to this character, Jason. Most likely, Jason was somebody of importance in the very beginning of the Thessalonica church life, whether it was because he was an administrator or he provided a space you know, he is a central figure as far as we can see through scripture. 
and we keep getting introduced to people in these house. in these missions of Paul. Yeah, it says it's his house. So he was the potentially he was the one who opened the space for the preaching that went on Monday through Saturday or Mon I guess Sunday through Friday. Yeah. And that's for those first weeks, you know, and so we're introduced to Jason. We're told that these officials had some reason to believe that they would find Silas and Paul at his home, which tells me he's he's there enough. He's either staying there or the church is being held there. The messages are being preached mm -hmm. there. And it's something like as you go through the book of Acts, if you continue on past 17 to 18, 19, this pattern emerges of going to a city, sharing from the streets or the synagogues, being invited or welcomed or called into a home, forming up a church, beginning to build it up and going. And this is the core of why we wanted to get at least this far in these first three messages, even though we haven't got to first Thessalonians yet, we've started to lay the groundwork in your mind to see that there's a pattern to ministry that Paul used. One of the things that I can't find anywhere in the book of Acts is Paul slow rolling the ministry. Hmm. Like we're talking about a church that's three weeks old at this point, not even a month old. And Paul has already built it up and exposed them to some of the hardships that he's in and the baptisms are happening that as we get into Thessalonians, we'll probably fall back to certain verses in here just so you can see where they line up exactly. But I do want you to keep it in mind that there's a pattern of ministry and it is full speed ahead all the time. He's never waiting for the next season or I, Oftentimes, one of my own failings is I'll try to build a relationship with somebody before I share Christ. Like, I feel like I need to earn a spot in their life before I have the right to share the greatest news ever. And what God has revealed to me is there may not be time for that. Yeah. Hmm. You, you can share the good news right there from the beginning. And then at the very least later on they don't have this feeling that it was all a setup like just be open and honest it is a setup i'm trying to get you into heaven with everybody you meet that should be your goal and so there's no point in wasting time before we share the gospel we have people in our life we have family members we have friends that we've known for years and have they ever heard us testify to the truth of the gospel have they ever heard us beg them into heaven yeah, I think of Revelation um, twelve eleven, and they overcame him, him being the evil one, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And to me, I think like, yeah, it's that cautiousness, it's that self-preservation that makes us hold back and go easy rolling on trying to, um, you know, send the gospel message gently home when the truth is when you share your testimony the blood of jesus has already gone before you yes. and then it's it's his blood and then it's your testimony and then it's still just his blood that does the work so to each one when it's their season 
to receive that, then they will receive the truth. But, yeah, gentle rolling ain't going to be. It's not for the season of life we're in, you know. Information and people's attention span is so short. Like, you don't have years to catch somebody's attention with the gospel. But it only takes a moment. And and don't be scared or freaked out to talk about the blood of Christ. One of the most beautiful things I ever heard Billy Graham say was he was asked in an interview, if you could have done anything in your ministry different, what would it be? And he said, I would have preached more often about the blood and the cross because that's what it all comes down to. And it's brilliant advice and it's a brilliant truth. The blood of Christ isn't something to be scared of. It's like when, when something miraculous happens, the world will attribute that to luck or coincidence. But we recognize it as, you know, that brick didn't destroy me because the blood of Christ protects me. And that doesn't mean you're never going to face trials. It just means there's plenty of areas where the blood of Christ has protected you and does protect you. And speaking about that lets people realize that you fully believe in it and you understand the power that is in the blood. Yeah, and I wonder if there's not something in there for us too, like this, you know, just like this awareness of we need to bring back testifying. Like, why does something awesome happen? And we were kind of like, I mean, just being honest myself, I've been timid before. I've been timid in a church to share of a great testimony of a healing that God gave me. I've been, I've been timid in churches to share about like the Lord, like where he came upon me and gave me tongues. Like, Oh, it's the church. Yeah. If not here, like, obviously I'm not likely to be doing that in the library or, you know, in line at the grocery store. I mean, that isn't necessarily my story, but like, well, the true core of a church The work that goes on in a church is the building up of the brethren. That means your brothers and sisters in Christ who you meet with on any given Sunday. And I do encourage you to find a good Bible-believing church and attend it. Not By the word attend, I don't mean come sit in a pew. Say amen if the pastor calls out, hey, I should get an amen. No, I mean attend it. That means to pay attention and to interact with those around you because that is how you build up your testimony will build up others who may be in a season of struggle and one of the devil's common lies is that you're all alone that you're struggling with something and you're the only one who's ever had to face it and he really is good at making you feel that but the truth is the season you just came through when you testify you might find out that's the encouragement some brother in the room may need and it's a cruelty to not share your testimony. So yeah, I believe the church, one of the fundamentals we need to get back to is testifying to build up the kingdom. Your testimony is is not just the challenges you face. It's also what you can do to encourage and build up other believers. So we're going to try to finish up, get through verse 10. And that will give us the full story, as the book of Acts tells it, of the Thessalonican church. Where are we? Verse 6. When they 
found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, hallelujah, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Of course, straight back to preaching. Yeah. So in this section, what we see is... Three Sabbaths. <laughs> yeah. A three-week ministry built a church. And as we get oh, yeah. into the story of Thessalonians, you'll start to see the character of this church, and it's a beautiful thing. One of the things I want to point out, just as a historical note, I guess, is, you know, Jason basically had to had to take out a bond, almost like with a bail bondsman. When it says taken security of Jason, that means he was held liable for the finding of Paul and Silas. And rather than dragging them over to be beaten and arrested again, most assuredly, he sent them away by night. And another point that I just want to make is when the world says these men are talking about Jesus and they're turning the world upside down, they mean that as an insult. But when you see the world as it is today, I hope you recognize that exactly what it needs is to be turned upside down. Yeah. So thank you for listening to this podcast. I just want to mention we're still learning the soundboard and all that. So keep sending us comments on how it sounds, if it's too loud, if it's too quiet, if there's you know, weird sounds in the background. Just 